Welcome to an inspirational message by Pastor Harold Weiss, Senior Pastor at Little Falls Christian Center. There are no words that we can speak that could give you enough thanks and gratitude and just love and appreciation and the feeling of your awesome wonder, your glory, your holiness, everything about you. Heavenly Father, we give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling us and being in this place. Thank you for the corporate anointing when we come together in the house of the Lord. Always this cloud of the glory of the Lord covering us. We thank you for it. And the living Word that lives and abide forever. We thank you, Jesus. All God's people say, Amen. God bless you. You may take your seats. The Word that lives and abides forever, it stays with us into all eternity. Now, I um, have uh, been with you Friday morning, and I think that this whole Passover period, we need to take a very close and serious look at it as we get to the end of the ages. I feel as time goes by, you know, you can do so much with the Lord and for the Lord and to the Lord when you worship Him and praise Him. So we want to look forward to many, if the Lord does not come yet, to many Passovers where we really have a good time with Jesus. It's the right time of the year to really, this, this weekend is very special. Friday is a high holy day of the Lord. It's when every Christian everywhere around the planet goes to church. No matter which churches, but they go to church. And uh, so Resurrection Sunday, is, is it, this is breakthrough day. For us, it's breakthrough. For us, it is resurrection power. Can you say amen? Give the Lord a praise offering. Amen. And it's a new hope. It's a new beginning. And, you know, for us, it's like, all right, Lord, you make all things new. So if you've gone through difficult times, remember, God makes all things new for you as well. So it's my pleasure to turn with you, if you have a Bible with you, to Matthew 27 and in the 45th verse, 27 and 45. And so we're looking at Jesus dying on the cross, and we have verse number 45 and uh, this is where we begin our reading. We're going to read this. It's the 45th verse, so we'll flow over into chapter number 28 also, just to get the whole picture quite clear. This is a beautiful um, sequence that Matthew gives us here of the actual cross. Now, I want to look at it, and we want to look at the implication and the impact upon our lives, the truth that is prevailing unto God and with God eternally. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, from the sixth hour, that's 12 o'clock, until the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., there was darkness over all the land. First miracle. And then about the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. But now notice here in verse number 46, 
about the ninth hour, then 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice. You know, you don't really see that expression with a loud voice anywhere else just exactly like this, even in the Greek. Can you think when he made this statement, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that's actually Aramaic, um, how loud he must have literally cried out from the cross, putting all his energy in just that statement. And it is amazing. I, I thought as I was reading this, I thought to myself, how far did his voice actually travel? Can you think about that? This is the Son of God on the cross. And how far would his voice be heard in this entire creation? Now, 27 and 47. Some of those who stood by there, when they heard that, said, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. 49. Then the rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. Notice 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Again with a loud voice. It's like he spoke so calmly everywhere. But here he is saying things with a loud voice. It's something that he had to do. I've come to do the will of my Father. Father, not my will, but thy will be done. This is the power of the Messiah on the cross. And he yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Next miracle. And the earthquake again. And the rocks were split again. The impact on planet earth, it literally shook at that moment when he cried out and he gave up his spirit to the Father. Now, I need to perhaps here at this point in time just take you, um, all right, let me go a little bit further and I'll take you to something. And the graves were opened. Notice verse 52. It is quite a supernatural, verse 52, 53. And the graves were opened and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, notice the word after because he's the first begotten from the dead. After his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, what we see here is a, a portion that I perhaps just pause there and take you to the picture behind me. Now, this picture, I personally took this in Jerusalem and it's actually a, 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 like, particularly, I think it could be more, but let's call it three main pictures. To the right, you have Calvary. In the middle, you have the, the tomb, the garden to, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And number three, you have the place where they laid him. If you look at the, on the right-hand side, you'll see the two eyes of a skull, 
and you see the nose. And if you actually look on, on uh, the black and white pictures as they have a day in the garden, you can actually see the teeth. You can actually see some teeth here also at the bottom. But it comes out clearly on black and white. You actually see a skull with teeth. And this is the place where they took him. A place called Calvary. The place of the skull. Now, having said that, the Bible tells you that many of the bodies of the saints, which saints here is it talking about? This is the saints of the Old Testament. We must now remember because we have to think this is Passover time. And you know, I could just quote, just run along, but I don't want to. I want to take this slow. This is Passover time. Now you must know that you have like 4,000 years up to Jesus. Enoch, 1,000. Abraham, 2,000. David and King Solomon, 3,000. And Jesus, 4,000. 5,000 Middle Ages, Dark Ages, 6,000. Here we are now. So here we have... The, the, the place where graves were open. The, let me say two things to explain this a little bit to you. As mentioned before, where that cross stood, it literally split time and space, the space-time continuum, split it between B.C. and A.D., for Christus and na Christus. It's like, it's like the splitting of time. And when was time split really? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that of necessity, not of necessity, there has to be the death of a testator. In other words, if you have a testament or a will, it is only empowered at the point of death. So whatever statement he made up to the place where he gave up his spirit and he died, he blew out the last breath. That's when the New Testament really began. The, uh, as you say in Hebrew, Berit Hadashah, which is the New Testament of the Lamb. And you look at that, you see it. That's also in Aramaic, Berit Hadashah. There you see all the things that apply to the New Testament church immediately coming into action. Because now the price has been paid. The covenant has been written in his own blood. I was thinking the other day, while just sitting there and researching and pondering these things, I thought, you know, it's like how many people would be willing to come and stand and have your will and your testament written with your own blood while you are being tortured and killed on a cross. Literally, this is what happened. And so at a moment in time at Calvary, there was the splitting of the ages. And today everywhere, they talk about the same thing, before Christ and after Christ. And that's how time now works. It's the middle point. It's the climax of the ages when Jesus died for you and I. It's the climax of the ages when His blood was flowing for you and I. It's the climax of the ages when He wrote the new covenant in His own blood on that cross. It's the climax of the ages when the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the earth, was hanging on the cross. It's the climax of the ages. So this serious weekend, like I say, Friday is considered, even in Israel, it's called a high holy day. Now we think about this for a moment. 
And if we look at it, we also know that these graves, these people that came out of the grave, if you look, look at the parable of Jesus and the, the rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16, you look at that and you see there how that there was in the netherworld, in the underworld, the netherworld, there were two compartments of the underground that you could clearly see. It's actually three, but now that's applicable too. That which is the bosom of Abraham, which is called paradise by the Jews. It's their understanding. He's talking about the bosom of Abraham in Jewish term, in terms of their culture. It's, it's, it's seen as paradise of the old covenant, the bosom of Abraham. Abraham there, Abraham and they the children of Abraham. And we are in Christ Jesus, the children of Abraham. So that was there. And then across that gulf, there was Lazarus, I mean the rich man, and he was in torture in flame. That is the place called Gehenna or hell, the place of the flame, the place of severe torment all the time, even now as we're speaking. But the place of the bosom of Abraham, when Jesus ascended, Ephesians 4, the Bible tells you that, but he that ascended is also he that descended, and he led a train of captives. In other words, people that were kept captive in the underworld, in the bosom of Abraham, he led captivity captive and took them into heaven. And now we know in the New Testament that when people die, you go to paradise in the third heaven. And then we return with Jesus on the day of the Armageddon. That is, once the church has been caught up to meet the Lord, 2 Thessalonians uh, 4.13, uh, we find how it describes in 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry. 1 Thessalonians tells you how we rise up to meet the Lord in the air. Whole sequence of event. When the Lord comes down with a shout, with a sound, with a voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ then are raised, and then we are who are alive together with them will rise up and meet the Lord in the air. And we are changed into a glorious body like that. In the Greek, it says atomo. That means an atom particle of time, like that. And you're on your way up into heaven. See, that's what the Bible says. And clearly it is so because everywhere it's just confirmed in Scripture. So if we look at this, these bodies of the saints, they are now raised. And can you imagine your uncle and your aunt and your grand great Grand, your, grand, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, and your great-great-grandfather and grandmother knocks on the door and says, how are you? I think some people, I, like you sometimes see it in pictures, their hair goes straight up, you know. <laughs> just just get, a, get a big fright. Can you imagine somebody knocking on your door and says, I'm Abraham. Or somebody singing outside the door, you walk out and says, I'm King David. I'm on my way to paradise in the third heaven. Because in Revelation 21 and 22, that's where you see the entire body of Christ move into the holy city. That is the story. All right, so coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion, verse 54, 27 and 54, and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. They feared greatly and said, truly, this was the Son of God. The centurion 
And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking from afar. And among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the Zebedee's sons. 57. Now when the evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Now this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb. Notice that, a large stone, and it indeed was. And then he departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Verse 62. Now on the next day, which followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that that deceiver said after three days I will rise again. And therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Then Pilate said to them, 65, you have a God, go your way, and notice these words again, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the God. Now, we can turn to the picture in the middle portion where you see after the face on the right-hand side, you see the, the garden tomb straight in front in the middle. Now, I'll just move forward and show you that here at the bottom, you might see it is a groove that runs. That groove could be anything from 12 to 16 inches. It's a very big, it's a large stone. It's in fact a huge stone. And you needed help to get that thing rolled into position. Here you see the like the edge of where the stone where when it reached this point it was now locked in however if you look to this side i can't see it on this particular picture i've taken close-up pictures of it but there is one of these places where you have just somewhere over here you have a, a roman nail in the sediment rock which is really limestone um, you have a nail there and that nail was once the stone was rolled in place, they hammered a nail into that rock. The archaeologists have said, they did an analysis of it, said that that nail alone could take 70 tons of pressure. That's how strong it was. Thick, thick, like a bolt that they just hammered it into the wall, a peg. And so that, that we know, I've seen it with my own eyes, in fact. Now, on the left-hand side, if you go into this tomb, you walk, this is the door, 
You go into the tomb, and once you've gone into the tomb, to your right, behind these stones over here, which have been built in, you have that, which is the place where they laid him. I'm so glad to show you this picture that I took, because to me it plays, I say the whole gospel's in there, because they have the crucifixion, you have the burial site, and then you have the place where, from where Jesus was raised from the dead. And you have the door when he came out, where he came out, and inside the door, if I stand here on this side of it, it swings in like that. Here in the corner inside of the tomb, you have a notice that says on the door, he is risen, he is not here anymore. So to me, this is like the whole gospel here. This is like where, this is all covenant stuff. This is where Jesus died for us, set up the new covenant, then was buried there, then was laid there, then came out there and was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And now it's very interesting. If we now read on a little bit more, we see 28.1. Now after the Sabbath, on the, as, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, another miracle, there was an earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from that door and sat on it. Now you must know, that angel broke 70 tons of resistance by just rolling that stone away. That's the first thing. Then it came quite out of this groove, which you can actually see at the bottom, because you have to go a little bit up. If you go there, you go onto this groove that you see here, which is actually with the outer rim of where the wheel was rolling. And you see that you step on it. It's like a stair for you there. And then you step on this, and then you go into the tomb, and you see the place where they laid him. So it makes it very clear, and I wanted you to have it like that today so you could see the environment, and this picture hangs in front of my, in my personal study, and I look up, I look into this picture. There it is. I see the covenant, and I know what my Jesus did for me. Just right there. Just right there. And so, and it says that the angel descended from heaven, came, then rolled back the stone from the door, sat on it. There's one more thing I can add to this. And that is that with these, these things, it's good to tell people these things because this is what is written in the Bible. You can see the pictures of it. Um, they used to also, the Romans used to hang a chain, like from this point here through to a point about there. And then they would put a lock in the middle. I've seen some archaeological representation of that. So I know perfectly well, you not, didn't only have that bolt, but the stone couldn't by itself fall over forward either. It was pulled against the wall and sealed. Do whatever you can, whatever you will, to seal and to contain this situation. Then they went and they secured all of this. So there we see now, it was after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, this is when they came to the, to, the, to the tomb. And here, there's an earthquake. And suddenly, there is blinding light. And here sits an angel 
on the stone which he had just dealt with, just like that. These angels are very powerful creatures that God has and that he sends out to do things. Think of one called Michael the Archangel, which is the chief warrior angel, and what he gets up to, it's amazing. If you look through at the scriptures, the prophetic scriptures, you find the interaction of these angels at God's command and what they do. Here it takes one of them. That thing is open. That's it. And there's the stone. Now, in archaeology, they've actually found that stone not very far away. It's about 25 feet below the surface. They actually uncovered it and then closed it up again in that garden tomb. So the stone is exactly what I say. You needed to have some very strong men to take this thing and roll it slowly but surely and roll it until it was sealed. And once sealed, darkness. You could be 100 meters under the ground and completely closed in, it would be that dark. Just you wouldn't see your hand before your face. So there we go. The seed of God planted in the earth. Now the first begotten from the dead is about to deal with that situation and come out of that grave. Now, if I say that situation, I'm going to read now for you. And it, I just want to read a little bit on here. Behold, a great earthquake, the Lord descended from heaven, uh, angel of the Lord, and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning. That's true. That's very true. And his, his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. The words on that door. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. There it is. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb. And with fear and great joy, they ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren, I go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word rejoice is a powerful Hebrew expression. And um, if, if you take, the, if you take uh, where it says the Lord will rejoice over you in the Old Testament now, literally it means, it means the word rejoice is like exceeding joy. The greatest joy of the breakthrough. There's a major breakthrough. The last enemy has been dealt with. Death and hell has no more power. Here stands Jesus straight ahead of them. He's just conquered death. He's just conquered hell. He's led a train of captives. And now he's standing in front of these women. And he says to them, listen, rejoice. And the word rejoice in the Hebrew language literally means as well as Aramaic. It literally means to jump, spin around, and land again. Literally to jump. Have you ever tried that? Don't try it too hard. Maybe somebody just get hurt. But jump 
spin in the air and land again in the same direction on your feet. If you're a young person, you'll be able to do that. But I wouldn't recommend it for anybody that is younger than me. <laughs> Amen? So give the Lord a praise out for everybody right now. Now, I want to take you on, and here is Scripture and Scripture, but I want to take two Scriptures just for this day that is so imperative. It is, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. This is the New King James, and here's the Amplified, the New Amplified Bible. Why do I do it? For the sake of you knowing that it brings you a little bit more understanding of the Greek without me having to explain the tense and the verb and all. You know, it gives you the alter, uh, uh, translation alternatives. You see it clearly here in the Amplified Bible. Colossians chapter number 2 it is. And we're going to go to, let's, um, let's say in this session I'm going to start with verse 12 and read on. Because verse 12 is the reflection of Romans chapter number 6 where you have the same thing. In one verse, it tells you. It's in Colossians 2, verse 12, having buried with him in baptism and raised with him to a new life through your faith in the working of God as displayed when he raised Christ from the dead. Okay? When you were dead in your sins, past tense, and in the circumcision of your flesh, worldliness, manner of life, or a worldly manner of life, God made you alive together with Christ, having freely forgiven us all our sins, having canceled out the certificate of debt, skuldbrief, consisting of legal demands which were in force against us and which were hostile to us. And this certificate he has set aside and completely removed it by nailing it to the cross. Now, dear friends, there is a letter of debt, or in the Afrikaans language, say a skuldbrief, that now, because of the totality of whatever sin you ever committed, King David said these words, says, my, my sins are more than the hairs of my head. And so, all of our sins, and whatever was against us, he took it and he had it nailed to the cross. That means your debts, sculpt, have been canceled. Whatever you've done wrong has no counting anymore because the blood of Jesus washed over that. And the blood of Jesus... I want you for a half a minute stand and give the Lord a praise offering. Just give Him a praise offering before I continue. Come on, shout hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you. May take your seats again. I tell you what, I tell you with this is that some people are walking around so sin conscious that they don't realize what happened there, here at the place of the skull. It was death to sin itself because it was nailed to the cross. And when it was nailed to the cross, it was over. Now people walk around and the devil says, well, you know, you this, you that, you know, and they want to, they, the demons of hell want to come and tell you bad things about you. But you know what? Whatever was owing concerning you has been nailed on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's done with. It's done with. Amen. Now, if you, if you look at this, I think it's just so beautiful. Now it says here, and uh, then it says, set it aside completely, verse 14, and removed it by nailing it to the cross. That's done. That is done. It's over with. 15. When, oh, this is important. He had disarmed the rulers and authorities, those supernatural forces of evil operating against us. He made a public spectacle, an example of them, exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal procession, having triumphed over them through the cross. Jesus triumphed over all the forces of hell through the power of the cross. He had forgiven you by the power of the cross and he had triumphed over the devil by the power of the cross. Can you say amen? amen? So if we take a look at that again, and I just want to read it slow, so I really want us to all get a grip on this. First and foremost, it says in verse 50, it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities, those spiritual forces of evil operating against us, operating against us. He disarmed them. The word disarmed, you know, if you have armament, if you have weapons, they call it armament. So he disarmed, he stripped them of that ability to do you harm. So the only way people now get harmed if they make an open door to the devil, if they walk away from Jesus, and they get into stuff, they get into bondage, and they get into heavy sin, and they don't, they don't recognize Jesus, and they don't even know it because there's ignorance, their hearts, ignorance, their hearts are, are darkened because of ignorance, not ignorance meaning lack of knowledge that impacts our way of living, which is our attitude. It's you have no knowledge, so you just carry on. You just live. Tomorrow you're going to die. That's okay. Today have a party. That's okay. But now, 1 Corinthians 15, Christ is risen from the dead. The first begotten from the dead. And it speaks, of course, of the fact that if there is a first begotten from the dead, there is a second begotten from the dead, and a third, and a fourth. So what is your number today? It would run in the billions today. So Melchior, you would be like maybe eight billion and whatever amount. Is that right? So George, what's your number? It runs into the billions. It runs into the billions. He's the first begotten of the dead. Now get another thing here. We talk, 
in terms of the Bible, I need to teach you something. We talk in the Bible of positional truth and temporal truth. Temporal truth is your baby. It's your, your responsibility. Like temporal holiness. I've got to take care and, and, and walk a holy life so that I could walk with God. That's my responsibility. To pray, to worship Him, to build relationship with Him. Because this is temporary here on earth. We're passing through. We're on our way to the city of gold. That's our destiny. See? So that's temporal. But positional truth is eternal. If you say these words, you see it in the Bible. Beloved, now we are in Christ Jesus. Or in Him we have the redemption. Those words, in Him. That literally means positionally, I am now part of the body of Christ. I am in Christ Jesus. Hidden in God. Colossians 3 now, I'm thinking of it comes up in my mind. Um, hidden in God and Ephesians 1, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So I'm in Him. That's eternal. So the grave cannot hold you. Because it couldn't hold, it will not hold my father, my grandfather. They were all godly people that believed in the Lord. Indeed, they did. And it won't hold every single person who has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus that died on the cross for you. I accept that sacrifice was also for me. How many of you can say amen to that? The moment you have that faith and you believe that God the Father raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And you repent of sin, you have yourself baptized, and now you live in the newness of life. You live in the newness of the Holy Spirit. Now you have a different, you actually have an advantage over the average man on the street that has not got the mind of Christ. And you see them making mistakes all the time. Make mistakes, make mistakes. But if you have the mind, mind of Christ, and even, I mean, the least of Christians can go and bow your knees and pray good about a problem and say, Lord, give me wisdom. And then the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, now we have the mind of Christ. And then he says, and my sheep hear my voice. So dear friends, know that Jesus stripped the devil of his ability to do you harm. And we're not going to open up. That's why the Bible says, Paul says these words. I'll just, just the verse that comes up in my mind. Where he says, he says, and give the devil no place. That's your choice. You give him place or don't. But give him no, no place. Now if I say give him no place, what does that mean? It's the word topos from which we have topography. The surface of the land like a map. You don't give him any surface in your life to operate. I want to go to one more verse. Go with me very quickly to the book of Hebrews, chapter number two, and I'm going to read this through and we come to the end of this. Tonight we celebrate. I take every amen that I can get on that one. Huh? Some people have forgotten to celebrate. Yes, pastor. Hallelujah. One comes up to me, he says in Dutch, you know, this is towards the evening, he comes up and he says, Afons. Never heard that word for a long time. I grew up with a friend who, who was, he was, he was Hollander, and I knew the language very well, actually. And so, he says, Afons. Hallelujah. 
we have to learn to praise God again. We have to come free of all the other stuff that holds us back from giving glory properly to Jesus Christ. Give Him a praise offering. Amen. I read two verses and then we close. Coloss- uh, Hebrews chapter number two, verse number 14. Therefore, since these, His children, share in flesh and blood the physical nature of mankind, He Himself in a similar matter also shared in the same physical nature, but without sin. So that through experiencing death, through, now Jesus, experiencing death, He might make powerless, ineffective, impotent, Him who had the power of death. Notice what I've just read. The devil had, past tense, the power of life and death. Jesus, Revelation 1 verse 18 says, Behold, I was dead and now I live and I have in my hand the keys of life and death. Verse number 15, the end, had the power of life and death, of death. That is the devil. That he might, notice again, free all those who through the haunting fear of death were held in slavery throughout their lives. People kept in the power of the fear of death throughout their lives because they don't believe in Jesus. I want to say to you today, never fear the Lord is with you all the time. With your family members, even on a deathbed, all the time. They call upon the name of the Lord. How many people have I led to the Lord even while they were busy dying? And then their faces change. And then they're happy. And there's no more tension, no more fear, because they just realize that they were saved. Thank you, Jesus. And they blow out the last breath. They pass on to be with the Lord forever and ever. Can you say amen? Now, don't you think it's time for us to celebrate? Let's stand up, give the Lord a praise offering, everyone. Amen. He lives. He lives. Oh, yes, He lives. He lives in the power of an endless life. And He has given you life. He's dealt with your sins. And He's washed you in the blood of Jesus. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord lift up His countenance over you and be gracious to you and grant you eternal peace. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. See you tonight. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.